begins with a man under a tree in the wilderness, ready to die. But the reality of this moment happened days prior on top of Mount Carmel, surrounded by a crowd of people and a couple bonfires. Main character, his name is Elijah, and he's one of God's prophets, one of God's messengers or preachers, kind of sent to denounce the wickedness of the current king of Israel named Ahab. So Elijah shows up on the scene, and after a couple fighting words between the two of them, the match is set. Here's the rules. They're very simple. Set up your altar. Prepare the logs. Prepare the sacrifice. And then begin to pray to your God that fire comes down from heaven. Pretty easy. So Ahab gets his guys, his prophets, and they start praying to their God, Baal, the God that they worship. And of course, no fire. And now it's Elijah's turn. He steps up to the scene, kind of, you know, cracks his neck, does that, you know, everything, sets up the logs, prepares the sacrifice. But before he begins to pray for fire, he asks a, fellow, a, a few guys to grab three buckets and fill them with water and then dump them on top of the logs. Now, I was never a Boy Scout, but I can imagine any scouts in here would, would concur that if you want to start a bonfire, don't begin by dumping water on your logs. So not only is Elijah physically saying, hey, I, I can stack the odds against me physically. I think my God's going to show up anyway, even with wet logs. What we need to know is that during this time, Israel is in the middle of a three-year drought. It's not raining there is no water. People are dying. And so every last drop that they could get was vital to their survival. <clears throat> and Elijah has them take three buckets and dump it four times. That's 12 buckets of water wasted. Some would call it foolish. Some would call it faith. Elijah sets everything up and he begins to pray and God shows up. Fire comes down. The thing ignites. People fall on their faces. Ahab runs and tells his much, much scarier wife at the time, while Elijah takes care of business with Ahab's other followers. And then as if right on cue, a cloud in the distance begins to form and swell up over the sky and cover the land and almost on cue, downpour rain for all of Israel, as if Elijah knew that it was coming. But Ahab had gone, like I said, to his much scarier wife named Jezebel, and she's bad. I mean, she's scary. And Jezebel has some words to say about Elijah, and here's where we pick up our story in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2. Two, Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, Elijah, I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you. Then it continues, He was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life. And now we find ourselves alone with a man under a tree in the wilderness, ready to die. Aren't you glad you came to church this weekend? Sounds like a good story. Hey, let me say a prayer for us, and then we'll dive in. 
Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it is living and active and breathing. And God, I just pray that we could all grab something that we could walk away with today, that we could carry out uh, into our world, into our communities. God, I thank you that these stories are not just stories, but they are true stories. They, 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 are, they are historical accounts of moments that you showed up. And God, I pray that today would be no different. God, we ask that you would show up. God, we know that you already have shown up. God, we believe that you are present here and in this space. And so, God, I just want to ask that you would, would, would meet us here, that you would speak to us where we need to be spoken to, that you would deal with us where we need to be dealt with, God. And if there's anybody here who kind of came in struggling, came in battling uh, with their mental health, especially with depression, Lord, I just pray that, that you would wrap your arms around them, that they would just feel a glimpse of the hope that you offer each of us, that they would see, God, even just a, a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel that they may feel so trapped in. God, we love you, and we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for making us a part of your weekend, whether you're here in our Waukesha campus or our Pewaukee campus or joining us online, wherever you may be. My name is Garrett. And I get to serve as one of the pastors here on staff. I work primarily in our student ministry. And if you are interested, or if you are a student, or if you have a student, middle school through college, we have some great ministries, shameless plug, that we would just love to get you a part of, answer any questions that you may have. Please come chat with me uh, in the lobby. I'd be happy <clears throat> to answer any questions that you may have. Our youth pastor, uh, Ryan, over at Pewaukee, would, would be so happy uh, to meet you. They've got an, an awesome event going on uh, today at, at Pewaukee walkie for the students after service. It's going to be a good time. So students, make sure you connect with Ryan and get over there. Uh, but this week, we continue in our series, Let's Talk About It. Let's talk about it. What is it? It is all things mental health related. <clears throat> the last few weeks, we've talked on anxiety. We talked on anger. And this week, we're going to talk on depression. I believe these are things that the church should be talking about. These aren't things that we should be silent on. I think as a church, we should be kind of on the forefront of these conversations alongside with, with mental health professionals getting guidance and wisdom from them so that, that we can be kind of leading in the conversation and really just meeting the needs of our community and helping. I found this article uh, from, from Relevant Magazine that I thought was really helpful, and it kind of pointed out some things that the church should be doing, really what the church maybe shouldn't be doing when it comes to, uh, to mental health. And a couple notes that I want to share with you. One was that depression isn't sometimes what the church makes it out to be. They said this, <clears throat> it's not a character defect, a spiritual disorder, or an emotional dysfunction. And chief of all, it's not a choice. Asking someone to try not being depressed is tantamount to asking someone who's been shot to try and stop bleeding. Such an attitude can dangerously appear in the church as if, if you only had enough faith. <clears throat> he goes on and says, mental illness is not a sin. They said this, viewing depression as a sin in and of itself prevents individuals from seeking treatment. And it also ignores the fact that many Christians may respond to depression in unhealthy ways if the root cause is ignored or misunderstood. And then I love this last point they made. Strong churches don't fix depression. We don't want to be a community where our goal is to just fix people that we declare are broken or to make people better versions of themselves. 
We want to be a place that meets the needs of our community, that loves people where they're at, how they need to be loved, and points them to the hope and the healing that we have found in Jesus. And oftentimes that's accompanied with professional help. That's what we want to be. We want to love people, meet them where they're at, and we want to have conversations about these things that our culture, that our world, that so often we would, we would think, man, don't talk about that. We got to shh about those things. It's not as simple as throwing a verse out or kind of stamping, you know, good quotes out there just to make you feel good or singing the, you know, famous church song. Maybe you're familiar with the, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Right, great song, great song. But sing that five times, it's not going to cure all of these things, right? It's not that simple. And that's why we want to have a conversation. We want to talk. We want to talk about these things. And I want to begin our time together by addressing the normalcy of depression. By, by, by looking at this kind of as, as, hey, we're all dealing with this on every end of the spectrum. So my first point for us, uh, if, if you're taking notes, is it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. We know that people are dealing with this uh, on every end, every part of the spectrum. Statistics say this. They say 81.5% of adults experience no to minimal symptoms. No to minimal symptoms. There's a wide range, but within there is is minimal symptoms. Some people are dealing with it a little bit, right? 11.5% experience mild symptoms and 2.8% experienced severe symptoms. So there are people, all of us, dealing with this in many different ways, many different forms of fashions. Maybe it's clinical, maybe it's seasonal, whatever it may be. Here's the encouragement that you're not alone. You're not alone. Maybe you came in here today. Maybe you, you've been kind of living your life thinking, man, I'm the only person. Maybe you found yourself saying this before. I'm the only person who deals with this. Many people are dealing with this and are suffering with this. And it kind of leads me back into our scripture, our story for the day in 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to read verse 4. This is Elijah as he's laying under the tree after Jezebel's threat. It says, but he himself, when a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, this is what he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. This is a drastically different Elijah than we see on top of Mount Carmel. This Elijah who's kind of throwing, you know, savage phrases and and it's kind of quick and snappy back to King Ahab. He's big, he's bad, he's tough, and now... He's under a tree laying down. He can't get up. And he's praying that God would take his life. He's a drastically different person. He's gone from one of the highest moments of his life, one of the highest of highs, to all of a sudden the lowest of lows, one of the best days to one of the worst days in a matter of moments with no control over his emotions, no control over his situation. Anybody ever been there? Ever found yourself there? And it almost encourages me that while we look at this Elijah who's big, bad, and tough on top of the mountain, and we see this very different Elijah, the reality of that is that we would say, that you would say, many people we know that are suffering, that are battling depression and mental health issues, we would say are some of the strongest people that we know. And what's true is that oftentimes external actions don't always dictate internal emotions. 
that how someone is acting, how someone is feel, what someone is doing doesn't always represent how they are feeling on the inside. And that's the reality for Elijah. We genuinely, we, we, we really don't know what people are going through. The encouragement, the encouragement that I would want to give to Elijah is that the same God that was present on top of Mount Carmel, who's doing the cool fire thing, is the same God that's present with him while he's laying under the tree. The same God in the highs of life is the same God that is present in the lows of life. While our, while our emotions, while our situations are changing, our God is not swayed by those things. He is consistent and he is good and he is loving in both places. Can I just say, if you've ever felt this way, if you've ever maybe said the prayer that Elijah has said, man, I just want you to know that we see you we care about you, we hear you, we are here for you. I believe there's a reason that you're here today. I believe there's a reason that you have breath inside of your lungs. I believe there's a reason you were able to see the sun today. I do not think that this world would be a better place without you. If there is any way that we could come alongside you and encourage you and love you and, and, and point you maybe to some of our care ministries or, or professional help that we have, we would love to do so. If that is something that you are interested in, you can go to our connect wall or let your host know in the chat online. It's normal and it's okay to not be okay. My second point is this, be gentle with yourself because God is gentle with you. Be gentle with yourself because God is gentle with you. Our story continues in verse 5. This is what it says. And he lay down, this Elijah, he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. I want you to notice what God's first response to Elijah is after his prayer. It wasn't, hey, Elijah, get up, buddy. Go fight Jezebel. Come on, get back there. You got it, man. It wasn't, hey, Elijah, suck it up. What are you doing under the tree, bro? Like, come on, let's go, dude. God's first response was gentle. He sends an angel to provide Elijah with a meal and then tell him to take a nap. It's very simple, very gentle, this invitation to rest, an invitation to be gentle with himself. Ben was able to sit down with Tori Dunn, a mental health professional in our community, and she had some great thoughts on this that I'd love for you to check out. What, uh, what are some of the common signs and symptoms of depression? This is when daily you are experiencing this deep-rooted sadness, emptiness. And on the surface, it can look like uh, decreased appetite, excessive sleeping, kind of slowed down or a lot of fatigue. 
Um, a big one for me is when people will say, you know, I used to want to go out and do these things. I used to be really interested in this, this, and this, and they haven't done it for months. That is a huge warning sign that they're no longer interested in things that used to be fun. Um, any changes in weight can also include in this, either weight loss or weight gain. Um, and, and again, anything that you feel like is different or new is worth exploring. May it be um, you're thinking about things more, your body's experiencing something different. It could be completely normal, but it's so worth it to explore to make sure it isn't depression. What would you encourage someone to do if they're experiencing depression? So first and foremost, I think it's really important to be gentle with ourselves. We have a lot of unrealistic expectations, especially when we're struggling. And so if the dishes are piling up, switch to disposable. If you're realizing that you, you get up, you set your alarm for 6 and you're not getting up till 6.30, maybe we switch our alarm till 6.30 and um, prep a little bit more the night before. If we are recognizing that, um, you know, we have this list of things that we want to be happening. Oh, today I'm going to do uh, the laundry and make meals for the week. A good, a good sign that if uh, something's unrealistic is if it's not happening. And so if you create these lists and it's not happening, be so gentle with yourself to readjust what is appropriate to expect today. If you've showered twice that week, take that as a win instead of comparing this self to when you aren't struggling with depression and you would shower daily or every other day. Those two times a week were great. That is a huge win. So be unbelievably gentle with yourself and readjust expectations of what it looks like for you when you are struggling, what daily life could look like. I love that. Be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself because God is gentle with you. His first response isn't get up, suck it up. Let's put it back together. His first response is, hey, are you okay? His first response to Elijah was, hey, eat some food. Maybe, that's, maybe for you that, that's a big step. That would be a big thing. Start small, like Tori said. Start small. Pick, pick little things that you can, can do. Studies show that a well-rested body produces less cortisol and adrenaline, which are the two most common factors in anxiety. And it just goes on to prove that, that our physical, our emotional, our mental, our spiritual health are all deeply connected. They're all interwoven. And so oftentimes it's these very simple things that, that we're neglecting. We're neglecting kind of the basic things of rest and taking care of our soul. That is the invitation that God has for us. He wants us to be gentle with ourselves because he's gentle with us. He wants, us, he wants to invite us to take care of our souls, to restore our souls. It's also key to, number three, to change the way we speak over ourselves. To change the way we speak over ourselves. Story continues. Elijah gets to the mountain, and this is what happens. It says here in verse 9, He came and lodged, he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They, they throw down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, and left. And they seek my life to take it away. Seek my life to take it away. Notice how Elijah is solely focused on the negative. Elijah mentions nothing 
about what happened on top of Mount Carmel. He mentions nothing about the fire that came from heaven. He mentions nothing about the rain that God provided after a drought. He mentions nothing about kind of Ahab's followers right dying and, and, and losing. He mentions none of that. He's solely focused on the negative. He's so fixated on the negative. Any dog people in here? Weird transition, I know. But who's, who's, who's dog people? Throw out, I want to know your dog name. Let, me, let us know. Who's got a good dog name? Stella. Stella. I heard Stella. What else? Yeah, all right. Good stuff. It, it, let us know in the chat. Let us know your, your, your dog's name. We grew up, we, we used to name our pets after uh, Disney characters. And so we had a dog named Pumbaa. Uh, that was our family dog. And we had, a, we had a bunny named Pongo for a while. Um, that was kind of weird. But now family's dog name is, is Roscoe. But let me ask you a question. How does your dog know their name? Some of you are like, oh, that's their name, duh. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You know, like, but no, really, like, it, you're not going up to your dog. You can't go up to your dog and be like, what's your name? And they're like, Roscoe. You know, like, if they can, that'd be fantastic. Please introduce me to your dog. I'd love to, I'd love to meet them. But, but that's not the reality, right? They don't actually know their name. They don't know what you mean when you're asking, hey, what is your name? No, dogs learn their names through deductive reasoning and positive reinforcement. Deductive reasoning and positive reinforcement. They're hearing it over and over again. And so they're like, oh, every time they, they open the door and they say this name and then they say potty, I think that means I should go outside and go to the bathroom. Every time they say my name and kind of jingle that, that jar, I, I think I get to eat now. Like, that's exciting. Now food appears when they make that noise. Maybe that noise means they're calling me, right? They're not really thinking all this. Maybe they are. I don't know. That'd be awesome. But dogs don't really know their names. They learn it based on what is said over and over and over again. So let me ask you, what are the things that are being said about you over and over and over again? What are the things that you're saying about yourself over and over and over again? What realities are you setting up for yourself? What things are you believing because that is what you've spoken about yourself, about your family, about your situation, about, about, about your life? What are we saying over and over about ourselves? Now, I'm not telling you to lie, right? Don't lie about yourself. Don't lie about your situation. Be honest with your emotions and what's happening and, and how you're feeling. Yet so often what we're fixated on becomes the only thing that we believe and what we see. We become so fixated on this one thing. And all of a sudden it's all we can think, all that we feel, all that we are experiencing becomes the truth. And we get confused. We confuse a truth with the truth. We confuse a truth about ourselves with the truth. What may be true about you is not the truth about you. A truth. You have anxiety. A truth. You're battling with depression. A truth. It's been a really, really hard season. The truth the truth is that you are a child of God, made in the image of God, made with purpose and intention and designed, not on accident, but with love and care. And he has a plan for you. And he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that you could experience eternal life, have a relationship with God and receive the hope and healing that is offered in Jesus. The truth is that you were made in the image of God, that you were a child of God. And it's so easy to confuse a truth with the truth over our lives and start declaring these things, making them the only reality about ourselves. So let me lovingly rebuke you with this. 
Don't talk badly about God's creation. Don't talk negatively about something that God made. Don't talk badly about something that God loves. Because when God, do, when God sees you, he's not thinking what we're thinking. When God sees you, he's not thinking unworthy. He's, not, he, he's thinking beautiful. He, he's thinking prized possession. That's what God is thinking when he looks at you. So be careful what you say about his creation. Be careful what you say about the things that he made because he doesn't make mistakes. So we need to be very careful with the things that we say about ourselves. And I know that's not easy. But man, how, how much more would our outlook, how much more would our, would our, would our spirit, would our soul be, be lifted up if we changed the way that we spoke about ourselves? If we changed how we were speaking over our situations and our struggles. My final point for us is to listen for the whisper. To listen for the whisper. The story continues. We're on the edge of the mountain. Elijah's standing there. Verse 11, it says this. He said, this is God speaking, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains and, and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Man, it's really loud in our world today. There are a lot of things that are fighting for your attention. There's a lot of noise that's trying to distract you and trying to distract me, that's trying to distract us from the main things that we should be hearing. It's important that we get quiet. It's important that we get quiet so that we can focus on what God is trying to show us, what God is trying to remind us of, what God is trying to teach us. A few months ago, I was golfing with uh, our, our youth pastor, Ryan. And, you know, I, I know when I'm going golfing, look, I'm, I'm, I know. I know how good I am, and it's not that good. So I'm there to, you know, maybe rock a fun polo and hit the ball as hard as I can and get some food after it. That's it. Those are my three goals, and it's pretty standard. Now, Ryan, ha he's not there yet. He's actually trying to get better and, you know, that kind of thing, and he's focused on his game and whatever. And so while we're golfing, he'll, you know, be putting, and, and he's setting up his putt and, you know, gets the marker on and sets the ball and kind of, you know, fixing his posture and he lines the club and he gets ready and, you know, he's all ready. And we're over here at the cart talking, you know, like we do. And we're just chilling because we know none of us are good. And so we're just hanging out, talking. And he does this. He does this to all of us. Like, like it's a PGA. He goes, shut up. <laughs> hey, like a super like, hey, what are you doing? Like, oh, I'm about to putt, you know. And so we quiet down. And he goes and he misses and it's fine. But what he's trying to do, what he's trying to do, we love you, Ryan. What he's trying to do, he's trying to get quiet so that he can focus. He's trying to get quiet so that he can pay attention to the thing that he needs to pay attention to. So many of us are saying, man, I'm missing out on God. Man, 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 what does God want from me? What is God trying to speak to me? Man, is God even present in this? Man, it's so loud. How could we even hear him if we wanted to? We've got to get quiet. 
See, God's trying to speak to us. So I don't know what it is for you. I don't, I don't know, you know what you would want God to say. And we don't know what he whispers to Elijah. It doesn't say what God whispered to Elijah. But my question for you would be, what would you want God to whisper to you? Right now, all the noise canceled out. If God could, could speak, if God could wish, he can, you know, but if he could whisper to you right now, what would you want to hear? What would you want God to say to you in this moment? What, what do you need to be reminded of? Maybe for some of you, you've, you've told yourself or you've been told that you're unlovable. But Romans 8 would say that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Maybe you feel alone, but in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, I am with you to the ends of the earth. Maybe you've told yourself that you're hopeless and that your life has no meaning, but in Jeremiah 29, 11, God says he has plans for you to prosper you and to give you hope. Maybe that you would look at your life and say, man, I'm such a failure, yet, yet 1 Corinthians 15, 57 would say that God gives us victory over our sin. Maybe you today are overwhelmed with anxiety and worry, but Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace is what I give you. Maybe you felt helpless, but Psalm 121 says that my help, it comes from the Lord. Maybe today you're hurting and you're unhappy and, and you're sad, but Jesus said in John 15, 11, I've told you these things that my joy may be in you. Maybe you feel weak, you feel unmotivated, you feel unworthy, you feel depressed and, and down, but Nehemiah eight ten says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So what would it be? that you would want God to whisper to you. Maybe you need to write it down on a sticky note and put it somewhere. Maybe you need to write it on your bathroom mirror. Maybe you need to make it a reminder on your phone to let yourself know every day, what would God say to you? Maybe it's, hey, press on. Maybe it's, hey, you are loved. Maybe it's simple, it's gonna be okay. You're not alone. I have a theory for what God whispered to Elijah. It's just my take. This is just what I think. You don't have to quote me on it. I think that God said his name. And maybe that's just what I would want. Maybe that's just all I would need to hear. But I think all the chaos, all the loudness, all of a sudden God shows up and says, Elijah. I like to envision myself there and just, hey, Garrett. Because who says your name? people that know you, people that are trying to get your attention. And I think God was trying to get Elijah's attention. I think God was trying to remind Elijah, hey, I know you. Creator of the universe, I know you and I care about you and I see you. God's trying to remind us of our identity. God is trying to remind us of who we are, whose we are, who we belong to. God wants to remind you today who you are and whose you are, that your identity is in him. The story of Elijah, it ends kind of weird. They have this moment on top of the mountain and God essentially just sends him back. He literally says, he says, go back the way you came. He gives him a couple instructions, some, some leadership things to do, but he just says, go back the way you came. He didn't reveal the plan 
Ahab, Jezebel, they're still alive and well waiting for him. I mean, eventually they're going to die, and it's pretty gruesome Old Testament stuff. But right now they're alive. They're waiting for him. And God just says, go back. Go back the way you came. Elijah had to trust that God was who he says he is. Elijah had to trust that God had already gone before him. Elijah had to trust that God was going to be in it, even when he couldn't see him in it. The song we sang earlier, Firm Foundation, had these lyrics. He's faithful in every season, so why would he fail now? He won't. He won't. Unfortunately, we don't have a cure-all for depression. I don't have a simple thing, a one thing that I can give you. I don't have a one verse that'll that'll make it all okay, that'll make you walk out of here and everything will be fine. But here is what I know. Here is what I know. I know that God cares about you. I know that the creator of the universe, who made the stars, the galaxies, everything that we can't comprehend, I know that when he sees you, he's hurt by the things that you're hurted by, that you're hurting with. I know that he cares about you. I know that he has a purpose for you, even if you can't see it. I know that some days are really, really hard. And he knows that too. And he's good in every single one of them. I know that his faithfulness is not dependent on my mood swings, the roller coaster of emotions that I have, the situations that I can't control. he's good and he's faithful in spite of all that I know that he's never failed so why would he now he won't he won't and he's inviting you and he's inviting me today to say I'm going to build my life on on Jesus as my firm foundation I'm going to build my life on what I know is stable on what I know is true on what I know is sturdy are broken are dysfunctional, are messed up and hurting, are shaky, unstable lives on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. He says, you can build it on me. You can have a firm foundation in Jesus. To build that on, to say that I can go on, to say that I can go another day, to say that I can continue, that I can get up tomorrow, that I do have a reason, that I can continue, that I can keep going because of the firm foundation that we have in Jesus. I've got a reason. I got a reason to be foolish. I got a reason to be faithful. I want to close in singing that song one more time. And so I want to invite you to worship with us. But before we do, let me say a prayer. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for being good even when our situations aren't. God, thank you for being the one constant in our lives, the things that we can hold on to. God, I pray that if there's anybody here today who who has not built their life on you as the firm foundation, God, would today be the day? Would we say yes to you? 
with a lot of doubts and a lot of questions and a lot of fears and a lot of things unresolved, we step in and just say, God, I don't know, but I know I can't. I know I can't go on any longer without you. I know finding satisfaction from the world, it just isn't working. Will we fall to our knees and say, God, I need you. And would we get quiet so that we can hear you, so that we can encounter you, so that we can be transformed by you to be sent out into this world to share the good news of the hope and the healing and the firm foundation that we have in, through, and only in your son, Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name. Amen.